away for me. So now that I've whetted your appetite, I'm going to leave you dangling a bit. We're going to read the passage, um, and then we're going to explore it. Because in my exploration, I actually learned things about this passage that I didn't know. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to follow. It's in Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 14, but we do have it on the screen. So starting at verse 14... I've got new glasses so I can read it. (laughs) Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the one who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, You entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I had not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside, into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hopefully that's easier for you to see than those small words. I looked at a couple of commentaries on this passage, and it surprised me that both of them claim that this passage is one of the most abused texts in the New Testament for being wrongly interpreted or wrongly applied. Most of them quickly referred to the uh, prosperity gospel preachers who would say that there there is a blessing that you can demand of God if you give, then he will give back to you and he'll bless you. Uh, and, And a lot of these preachers, sadly, would say that the best way for you to give is to give to them so that they can perhaps buy a new jet that will get them to their their destinations quicker. 
Um, and it really distorts the whole idea of generosity and giving. But more commonly, there's a misconception that this passage is talking about putting our natural gifts and our spiritual gifts to work for God. And that second one got my attention because that's what I had often, if not always, taken from this passage. That if I had a gift for speaking, that I'd develop that talent and devote it to Christ. And I was putting my talent to work for God. But my commentator suggests I'm being misled by the modern meaning of the talent. Because to us, when we think of talent, we think about an ability. We think about a gift. We think about um, a skill that we might have. But it definitely didn't mean that in biblical times. When Jesus taught this parable to his disciples, when he used the word talent, he was talking about an amount of money. And that would have been what they would have heard. In fact, the size of the amount of money was huge. One talent is equal to about 6,000 denarii. It means nothing to us in our economy. But back then, one denarii was a common labourer's daily wage. So one talent would equate to 20 years' worth of wages for the average person. And the man who had five talents would have related to over 100 years' worth of average payments. So when Jesus quoted this parable, he was talking about a huge gift that was bestowed to these servants. And even though the first one receives five times as much as the last, the last one still receives a huge amount of money. So if, if the commentator that I read is right, and that talents aren't the gifts or abilities, what are they? So join me on the journey as we explore that. And we're going to look at this passage quite closely just to see what Jesus was referring to. So what has the Lord given us to invest, which corresponds to the servants in the parable? I think the first clue is found in verse 14, where it says, Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. The key words are his property. The talents are the Lord's property, God's property. They're not something which man can give, but something which God alone controls. The talents are not distributed like natural gifts to all men freely, but they're only given to those who in some way have got a relationship as servant to the Lord. And to those servants, he distributes his property. So the second clue, I believe, is found in the next verse, verse 15, which says, To one he gave five talents of money, to another two, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. I've always found that last piece of that verse quite peculiar, each according to his ability. But when you look at it and understand the, the thread of the argument that the commentator's putting, it actually makes sense that the talents are clearly not natural abilities, but the talents are distributed on the basis of natural ability. So to the one man the Lord gave five talents to, 
He did so because he was a man of great natural ability. He had many gifts. To another he gave two talents because he was not as gifted as the first. And to the third man he only gave one talent because he had few natural abilities. So whatever the talents might be, one thing appears to be clear, that they're not natural abilities. Rather, the number of talents given is determined by the number of natural gifts already possessed. Starts to play with your mind a little bit, doesn't it? Another clue. I think it's not stated directly in the text, but it is clearly implied. That the Lord expected the servants to invest the talents he gave them to produce a gain, to produce return. So what does that mean? It means a talent is something that can be invested. It can be risked with the possibility of producing either gain or loss. And important to note, the decision to risk is wholly the servant's. He can choose to take the risk, as the first two servants did, or he can utterly refuse to do so, as the third one did. Another clue, it's also likewise implied, is that the investment must be made wholly for the benefit of the absent Lord. So the talent is not given for the servant for his own use. It remains the property of the absent Lord, and if it is risked, it must be on the Lord's behalf. There's no promise made to the servants that they will share in any way whatever profits may come. They have no right to deduct a brokerage fee or a commission. And as the servant could see, all the loss would be his and all the profit would be the Lord's. The Lord would be the sole beneficiary of any transaction. So what's the meaning of talents for us? What do we Christians have, which is God's property, comes to us on the basis of natural ability and requires a risk on our part. And that risk appears to benefit only the Lord and not ourselves. Ask yourself another question. If you have certain natural abilities, what do you then look for? Is it not an opportunity to use the resource that God has given you? It might be opportunities to use spiritual gifts, opportunities to use natural abilities, opportunities to take advantage of circumstances that the Lord has blessed you with, maybe opportunities to use the connections that you have to other people, maybe in positions of influence, opportunities to use the education that you have, maybe opportunities to share the experiences that you've gained through life. So it would appear that the talents of the parables are golden moments of opportunity. The more gifts and natural abilities we have, the more likelihood of opportunities to use them for the sake of the kingdom. So coming back to my little teaser at the start of the sermon, what was it that God surprised me with through the scripture? A few months ago, we attended a service at Grace Beach Campus. And we did so because our daughter Chelsea and her husband Alistair uh, were sharing in the service. 
And I was sitting in the congregation, observing stuff, as you do when you sit in another church, just to see how they do things and what sort of uh, lighting they've got, what the music's like, who the musicians are, who's doing what, just checking it all out. And they seem to have all the bells and whistles. They've got modern technology, they've got lots of people involved in ministry. Uh, There's lots of people on staff, by the look of it. There's new people coming in all the time. It was quite full. And I was just thinking to myself, observing all this, wouldn't it be easy just to come here and not have to be involved in the church the way that we are here at Parklands? Wouldn't it be easy just to come up and be a bit of a passenger, a bit of an observer, just to rock in, sit down, enjoy the worship, enjoy the fellowship, and then go home again, and not feel a sense of responsibility, and just to, I guess, enjoy being part of it without having to serve. Then during the service, James the pastor referred to this passage. And he didn't speak about this point directly, uh, but the whole issue of talents was just there a general theme supporting another main point that he was making. But it was like the Holy Spirit cupped his hands round his mouth and went right up to my ear, and he said that Beach Campus is not the place for me to serve, that here at Parklands is. And I thought, hey, I didn't ask you that question. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't sort of suggesting I might shift God, you know, but it was like he knew what was going on inside of me, inside of my spirit. It was like he knew that I needed to hear that clarity that it's, it's about service. It's about where God calls us to use our gifts and talents. That had I gone to Beach Campus and enjoyed Christian fellowship and enjoyed being part of community, for me, that would have been like burying my talent that God had given me to use the gifts he's given me to serve here. Now, I'm not saying at all that people who go to Grace Beach Campus are burying their talents. I think clearly people who go there, some are are using their talents and God is blessing them through it. But for me and for you, it's a question of saying, God, what are the opportunities that you have called me to, that you've given to me, for me to use the gifts and abilities and the opportunities and the experience for the sake of your kingdom. So normally when you get some investment advice, there's a big disclaimer that you can't rely on the person giving you the advice and that you can't hold them accountable for anything. Well, I'm not giving any cautions. Uh, you, You can debate this with me and quote me on it because I think these are principles that we need to understand when we think about where do we invest ourselves? If God has created opportunities, if he's given us talents to use our gifts and abilities, we need to be wise about where we invest those. Because I think it would be very foolish for any one of us to say yes to every opportunity that gets presented to us. We need to check that it's the right one. We need to check that it's the right investment. If you had some money that you were going to invest, you would look at opportunities, you would look at potential gains, you'd look at potential risks. And similarly, we need to think about opportunities to serve with our time, with our resources in the Lord's kingdom. Is this what he's calling you to? And often we won't know that until we take the first step. And I think one of the problems for us in the way that we do church is that as soon as you take that first step, you feel like you're locked in. 
that's it, you're committed. You're here until death do you part, in some ways. And I think that's quite wrong, because I think there should be an opportunity for us to sort of say, well, yes, this could be a good fit for some of the gifts and talents and resources God has given me, but can we check that out? Can we do a test run? Can I get involved for a short period, say three months, and then just come back and check and say, is this the right thing? Wouldn't it be great to be part of a church like that, where we can encourage one another to invest in the right areas, but exercise grace so that if it's not the right choice, if it's not the right fit, that for whatever reason we can change our mind without fear of offending someone or fear of embarrassment. I also think similarly it's wrong to say no to everything. Sometimes it's because we're afraid of saying yes. Sometimes it's because we might feel a bit inadequate that the task that we're being asked to be part of doesn't actually feel like something that we have total confidence that we can carry out. But it could be that God is going to use that opportunity to grow in us the gifts and the skills that he wants us to mature in. It could also be that as we step out in faith and say, God, I have a sense that you might be asking me to do this, but I don't feel confident or capable. I need you to work through me. I need the Holy Spirit to provide the empowering as I step out. So if we say no to everything, we will miss out on those opportunities. As Christians, our purpose is to serve our master, not ourselves. So I think it's better for us to try something that doesn't work out than to not try something, because the possibility is that that is a talent that God has given us uh, for us to grow in our gifting and to be a channel for God to bless others. Another example from me in terms of how that how that looks on a personal basis is that towards the end of last year, I was invited to consider helping another local Baptist church that had some struggles in terms of size and capacity, so had gone to the local Baptist association for leadership support. And I was asked to help them as a consultant elder to assist them through their current challenges and to see God re-establish their vision Uh, their structure and their congregation. My initial reaction was, well, thank you very much for asking me. It's it's a bit of a a compliment to have been asked. And my initial thought was, well, look, I'm pretty busy at the moment. Uh, I've got a a job which is is full on and often requires me to be in different parts of the country and uh, it's more than a a 40-hour-a-week commitment. I'm also committed to my responsibilities here at Parklands Um, I don't think that I'd have the time to do it justice, was my initial response. Then I thought, well, I suppose I'd better pray about it. So as a Christian, we sometimes do that, um, not always first, but hopefully somewhere in the process. And in in that prayer, I sensed that this opportunity had the symptoms of being a talent, of being an opportunity that God had brought along for me to be able to serve and invest in an area that I wasn't contemplating, but that would appear that God had opened a door. So I decided to test it. I said, well, I'll give it a try. I made a little bit of room in my 
schedule of commitments and uh, step down from a, a role that didn't have that same sense of this is the right thing at the right time. Had been when I'd gone into it, but it sort of drifted onto something else. And so I made a little bit of space and said, yep, I'll give it a go, Lord. And what I've seen quite early on is that even though I haven't really gone in there thinking, right, here I am, I'll help you guys because I'm fantastic. I went in and I was able to bring a perspective that the other people in that team didn't have. And we were able to complement each other really well so that together the mix of experience and skills and gifts that we were able to bring to that new team was just what that church needs at that time. So I was able to see how God was, in a short space of time, able to create a return on the investment that the various leaders had put into that group for the benefit of the kingdom. So I'm trusting that he'll continue to, to bless, I guess, my, my calendar, my schedule commitments that I don't overcommit, um, but also pray that he will give me the wisdom to continue to discern what is the right talents, what are the right opportunities for me to be involved with. So in your prayers, if you could remember me in my role as consultant elder for Breezes Road Baptist Church, and if you could also pray for them, because they're at a quite a, an exciting part of their journey um, of looking to God saying, who do you want us to be? What do you want us to do? And they've got some really inspirational help from the association and from other local churches. I think it could actually be a bit of a role model for how we as a group of Baptist churches can look wider than just the individual church and say that God's blessed us as a, as a whole association of churches to actually help one another, that we don't have to be standalone silos where everyone does everything for themselves, that we can support each other and encourage each other. And I, I think it's a, a good model. So I'm, I'm keen to see what God does with that. So coming back to our parable, Jesus teaches us that ultimately we will be held, account, held to account for how we have invested our opportunities. The master will return and there will be a judgment. Now I don't find that truth particularly comforting. Because I know that there are probably times, not probably, I know that there are times when I have not done the right thing. When I have chosen to squander an opportunity rather than to make the most of it. I know there are times where I felt God's call to do something, I haven't done it. So I'm not actually looking forward to the day of judgment. But what I do rely on is God's forgiveness and God's grace that I know that I am saved and I know that I, I try and learn from my failures but that there will be a day of reckoning for each of us and sadly there are some people at that day of reckoning who won't be able to rely on God's mercy and his grace because they haven't made that personal decision to follow him and to accept Jesus as our saviour. The first servant, he gained a 100% return on his investment. And in terms of the application of this parable, it means that he made full use of his opportunities. Not for his own advancement, but for the Lord's. He put first the kingdom of God 
and, and God's righteousness. He made each crucial, crucial decision about the investment of spiritual gifts, of circumstances, of position, of natural abilities, not ultimately to profit himself, but to profit the work of the kingdom. And Jesus rewards his servant by saying, well done, good and faithful servant. What will God say to us? In this life we aspire to many things, to be thought well of by family, by colleagues, by friends, maybe to achieve status, maybe to achieve positions where we're comfortably wealthy, But I think as Christians, the highest status that we should aspire to is to have our Lord say on the day of judgment, well done, good and faithful servant. But that's not all Jesus did. Then he said he would set that servant over much. I don't really know what much is, but I think if Jesus says it's much, it's probably a lot more than we can imagine. And but wait, there's even more. It's not a set of Ginzu steak knives, but it is, Jesus says, come and share my master's happiness. Other translations say, enter into the joy of your master. Come and be in his presence where there is total fulfillment. I think ultimately the master's happiness and the joy of your master is the joy of knowing that you've satisfied the heart of God. And that's not a passing thing. It's an eternal joy. It's a permanent pleasure. So looking at the two-talent servant, he gained two talents more. That is also a 100% return on investment. To the limits of his ability, he too had chosen to put Christ first. He was not naturally as able as the other man, but he was equally committed. He had risked loss to himself so that the Lord's work might prosper. And to him the Lord also says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There is not one syllable difference between what the Lord says to the man with two talents and what he says to the man with five. But what of the third servant? The man had gained nothing because he had risked nothing. There was no increase because there was no investment. He had one opportunity to risk himself on behalf of his master, but he deliberately ignored it. And since he took no risk for Christ's sake, He also had no spiritual influence, no impact for eternal good. In God's eyes, his life counted for nothing. There was no spiritual power. It had been lived all for himself. When the master returns, the man had a little speech carefully prepared, trying to justify his position. It would seem like he had rehearsed it. You are, he says, a basically unreasonable man. You expect other people to do the dirty work while you get all the benefit. 
and if they should fail to satisfy your expectations, you're quite ready to accuse them as, as being thieves. So I was afraid to risk what you gave me, lest I should lose it and would have to face your wrath when you returned. But I have outwitted you. I've kept your talent safe for your return. Here is exactly what you gave me. You and I are even. The real problem is that this man had no intention of being the servant he was pretending to be. The master's reply is not to refute the claims that the servant made. In the scripture, he says, you say this, this, and this, and puts a question mark. So he's not agreeing with it. He's, he's basically saying, well, you're saying this, but even if that were true, you should have known that that was how I'd react, so you should have responded. But this man refused to behave like a servant. He had his own life to live, and it was really nothing to him that a servant's fundamental task is to serve, not himself, but his Lord. In his selfishness, what he didn't realise was that his one chance to be who he had been created to be was to risk himself by investing his master's talent for the benefit of the master. Had he done so, like the other two men, he would have gained approval and been invited to share the master's happiness. But he wasn't. He was called worthless and he was thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I find that concept particularly unpleasant and not politically correct at all. But I think as Christians we, we risk ignoring the truth that there will be a judgment and there will be those who are not invited to be part of God's presence. And conveniently we overlook it because it's uncomfortable. We don't like the thought of people being excluded. But Jesus is very clear on this, that only those who are faithful servants will be included into the presence of God for eternity. So rather than hide this truth, let's allow God to use it to be a motivation for us so that we share the truth of his love, the truth of his mercy and his grace. So some take-home messages. Each of us as Christians have at least one talent. There is no one who has nothing. We each have at least one. And I think given some of the definitions of what opportunities might be, most of us have multiple opportunities to use what God has blessed us with for his kingdom. God expects us to invest those talents. He expects us to use the opportunities that he's brought along. So what do we do? Well, I believe we need to step out in faith. Take risks that might look foolish. They might look different in the eyes of the world. And expect the Holy Spirit to guide you and to prompt you. Pray that God will show you the opportunities he's provided for you. But be bold. Be courageous.
I suggest that you test opportunities if you're not sure. Be willing to be wrong because the risk of us not trying is that we might have, it might have been the right opportunity for us. The Bible is clear that there will be a day of reckoning where we will each have to give an account of how we have served God with the talents he has given us. To live for Christ is to love men and women with his love. And that is always a risk. Let's pray together. Lord, there are parts of this parable that, that really challenge us. We want to be like the faithful servants, but are conscious of the times that we put ourselves first and don't even consider your will. Please forgive us for those times. Help us to be more mindful of seeing the opportunities that come our way as having been given by you for us to invest ourselves for your benefit. Holy Spirit, please guide us so that we can be both obedient and wise. And we pray that we would be a community that loves one another and spurs one another on towards love and good works. We ask this in the name of Jesus for the sake of your kingdom so that you will achieve a great return on the investment that you have shared with us. Amen. I invite Karen and the team to come back up and lead us in a final song. If you would like prayer uh, at the end of the service, I encourage you to tap someone on the shoulder or to come up to someone and to not leave if God has been prompting you to make some decision, to make uh, some commitment to him perhaps about how you want to be responsible and faithful in the use of your talents.